Welcome to Fearless University, the podcast where we discuss, dissect, and examine some of life's greatest fears. My name is Coach Lane Lee, performance coach and fear psychology enthusiast, here to help you understand your greatest fear. Fear is my passion, curiosity is my nature, and understanding is the gift that I seek to share with all who will listen. Because if we seek to understand more, we can learn to fear less. Welcome to the very first episode of Fearless University. You guys, I'm just going to be honest. I'm mad excited right now. I'm excited. After months of planning and preparation, ideation, conceptualization, uh, it's just so thrilling to have this finally launch and be able to share this with you guys. I've talked about it for months. My athletes that I work with, the coaches, my wife, everybody's heard about it. Well, now it's a reality. And you have to be able to execute, you know? ideation, conceptualization, all of that stuff is pointless if you're unable to execute. And that's something that even in my mid-30s, as I mean, like, you know, I'm approaching my mid-30s, but still, even something that even in my 30s, I'm learning how to do better. So I'm excited to share this with you guys, and I'm really excited to hear what you think. So Fearless University, you guys, it's not about being void of fear. It's actually about learning to fear, fear itself less by understanding more. Each week, I will feature a new guest who lends their special blend of wisdom and expertise to help me unlock the mysteries of fear. We laugh, sometimes we may cry, but above all else, we seek understanding. I am so excited about my very first guest who dropped In all honesty, some serious knowledge bombs on this podcast, y'all. Eric Thompson, you may know him better as the Tumble Chef. We talk about how you can use fear as an indicator that you're about to push past your limits. We discuss whether fear is greater than love and whether or not that's a bad thing. And later, Eric opens up and gets personal, which I love because he's a pretty private guy. But he talks about the greatest thing that fear ever taught him and how, as a father, he's learned the importance of allowing your children to experience fear for themselves. Y'all, I hope y'all are ready because it's about to go down. Parents, athletes, coaches, whomever you are who is listening right now, I hope you're paying attention because if not, Eric is about to command it from you. So without further ado, I present to you the one, the only Eric Thompson. Hey guys, what's going on? Coach Lane here for Fearless University, and I am thrilled right now. It's not only our first podcast interview, our first episode, but also I've got one of uh, one of the best people that I could think of to kick off this series and be my first interview, my man, Eric Thompson, aka The Tumble Chef. And before we jump in and I let him take the reins, uh, I thought I'd start off with just a quick introduction to who Eric is. Eric and I met through our mutual friend, Alvin Davis, a.k.a. The Tumble Doctor, uh, who will be on the show in the near future. Together, we're two-fifths of a tumbling collective we call North Beast Cheer. Even though I'm on the left coast, and the other guys, Eric, Alvin, John, and Nikayo, are all on the Beast Coast. Just a few quick highlights about Eric before we dive in. Eric, or E, as we like to call him, graduated in 2008 from Columbia Union College with a degree in history. He has a multidisciplinary background in sports, which he draws upon in the training of cheerleaders, power tumblers, gymnasts, acro performers, and dancers. While in college, Eric was a member of the illustrious Acro Airs Acro team for four and a half years, three of which he served as team captain. 
He has coached tumbling for almost 15 years for recreational all the way up through collegiate and competitive athletes. Eric began coaching cheerleading, however, back in 2009 at Dream All-Stars, where he has coached teams from levels one through five, leading them to numerous state and national championship titles. Under his direction, his level five team has qualified to compete at the prestigious World Cheerleading Championship, or Worlds, as it's known to us in the industry, successfully placing higher each year they've attended. Now, CEO of his own traveling tumbling company, Eric is known online and to his athletes and friends as the Tumble Chef, cooking up fresh and innovative teaching and spotting techniques. He is known for his strong leadership and motivational speaking, and he's someone whose opinion I highly value. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Eric Thompson. What's up, brother? How's it going today? How you feeling? What'd you think of that introduction? I thought the introduction was actually pretty good. I actually felt like I was important, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Listen to somebody else say it. Like, when you read it, it's like, uh... Right. Here's my else saying it makes you feel important. Yeah, so. you know, when you're writing it for yourself, it's like, oh, am I saying too much? Am I really that cool? But it, it's always right. better when somebody right. else reads it. But look, man, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking some time out today. Um, we're not going to keep you too long, but I know that uh, what we're doing here needs to be heard. And I think a lot of people are going to get value from from this podcast. So I really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad you, I'm actually really honored to be here. Ah, man, I appreciate you. So look, I know I just basically gave your life story there, but let's do this. I I know you're a pretty private guy, so I already appreciate you doing this, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how Tumble Chef came to be. Well, it's funny that we, we chose to start today. I was just having this conversation with some of the kids on my team and they were like, Eric, don't you have a history degree? why are you a cheer coach? And I I think the funny thing about it, I think everything happens for a reason. And I remember being at acro practice and uh, having a guy named uh, Juba walk in and it was the simplest of questions. And I never thought it would change my life so drastically, but he essentially walked in and he asked our coach, did he have any guys on a team that was willing to work, like teach tumbling, spot tumbling. And I, my coach came around and he, um, he asked me, like, Eric, are you interested in teaching tumbling? I was like, do you get paid? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it's a job. I was like, well, I'm broke. Um, yes, I'm down. And that's essentially where I've been. And that started 2000 and I think the end of 2003, I believe, 2004. Wow. And I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Um, I've always loved tumbling. Always loved tumbling. I remember being in Kansas City, Missouri, um, my hometown. And we used to flip in the grass, flip off of houses, flip at the zoo, flip off the trees, everything I could do flip-wise. Um, and I never thought in a million years I would be able to teach it and do it for a living as an adult. And I couldn't be more happy being here where I'm at right now. So. See, that's something I, I never even knew about you. So I always, just in the brief time that we've spent talking, I always assumed that you just started tumbling in college with acro air. So you actually had a passion for it much like most of us eighties babies. I'm sure, you know, growing up watching power rangers right. and Ninja turtles and Ninja, everything back in the eighties. You, so you yeah. also tumbled when you were a kid. Yeah. So it's so funny because well, most people will see me now and they wouldn't believe it. But when I was a kid, I used to be chubby oh. and I remember it, I used to love Ninja turtles used to love power rangers, but it actually wasn't those things that made me start, Flipping. Right. I remember watching the 96 Olympics and I watched Dominique Dawes and I believe it was Shannon Miller. Yeah, and yo. Like, I'm like, I'm going to do a back handspring. I'm going to do it. When we call him where I'm from, we call him hands and no hands. Okay. Like we don't have all the technical terms. I was like, I'm going to go downstairs and do a flip. So I legitimately walked downstairs. My mother was at work. I moved her dining room, her living room table back, moved her couch back, and I just started flipping. Wow. It took me about. It took me about a couple of hours to get over. And then after that, I was hooked. And then I would practice in the grass, practice at school. And then I just kept working on it. And then it was pretty janky, no technique. Right. But I just kept doing it. And then I was strong enough to do standing tucks and flips and twisting. And then when I got to college, 
my coach, my acro coach, actually retrained me with um, classical technique, and that's where I learned pretty much everything right. that I teach now as far as the way I go about it, body lines and the technical turn, pointing your toes, flexing your core, all that stuff then. But I just started flipping on my own. That's awesome, man. That, that's crazy because I remember growing up for the longest time having the desire to want to learn how to do you know, what we, in layman's terms, call backflips and stuff. But mm-hmm. I never had the the audacity to try it on my own. I think uh, I remember when I was living in Italy as a kid, there was uh, a couple kids that like they were new kids that year. And they came in, they could do backflips and all that stuff they had taught themselves. And I was like, man, I want to try that. And when I did, uh, I ate it pretty hard on a crash mat, not even on like the pavement mm-hmm. or anything. And that was enough just landing on my neck the wrong way to like make me shy away from it for, you know, for a couple more years. But it was always something yeah, no, that no. I wanted to learn. I can understand. Know? Yeah, no, but I, I mean, like, that's dope that but you I think. Go ahead. But I think that. Like me, I'm an impulsive person. So like, uh, I was I talked to my girlfriend about this too, and she actually yelled at me about this. <laughs> well, I did at one point. I used to be like an impulsive buyer. So I would go out and I would see some shoes I want, and without thinking about what I had to do the next day or whatever bills I had to take care of, I would just buy the shoes. Right. Because I was motivated in that instance. So when I would go, when that, that time when I saw the nine six gymnastics, I didn't even think about being hurt. I didn't think about the injury. I didn't think about any of the the danger, caution, none of that. I was like this, I want to do it. So I just went downstairs and legitimately, without thinking twice, just tried it. That's amazing. And then just kept going from there. And it sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I never thought about it as being crazy or dangerous or so like far-fetched. I was like, might as well. I didn't think about spring floors or none of that. I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And it worked out. See, that makes me that that brings me to another question then for people who are listening, whether it's athletes that are listening and, you know, they've they're they want to learn how to tumble or, or they've been trying to get their back handspring tuck, standing full, whatever. And for whatever reason, it's just not working out. Do you recommend that they take that time on their own to go and just say, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I know how it should look. I know pretty much how it should feel even though i've never done it do you recommend that they take that kind of audacious step and just put themselves out there and say let me try it or do you recommend that they you know take that desire but go seek a seek out a professional i don't know if i'm asking the question right but i think you get what i'm trying to say right you know i get you i get you and i think that that is essentially based on individual people right each individual is different so you, one, have to be self-aware and know yourself. Right. Like, for me, I'm, once I commit to something, like once I'm really, like, when I say I'm going to do it, I'm just, I'm doing it. And once I, I'm not the type of person who's going to be like, like, I know some tumblers will go, like, I'm upside down. And like, there's no, it's, I can't do it. At that point, for me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get back to my feet. Right. And that's the same way I am about most things in life. Like, when, when life is going bad or I need, I, I don't have enough money to pay for certain things. I, in my mind, am trying to figure out ways to get back to my feet. That's just the way that I'm wired. So I think as far as people who are, like, just interested in trying things, I think if you have access to to crash mats and facilities, you always go that route. Right. And I think that's always the, the best route to go. For me, I grew up poor, so us going to a place like that, and I don't necessarily we're poor. I also think that I was ignorant to the idea of going to a gymnastics facility or having that access to those that those equipments. So for me, the best thing for me was couch cushions or a mattress. So that to me, in my mind, was my safest bet. So that's what I went with. Gotcha. I wouldn't tell anybody to go out and just try a back handspring um, just in the grass or the way I learned it. Like looking back now, I was crazy essentially. Man. But I think that now access and I think we live in a world now if you have questions about things there's nothing you can't find out if you want a place to go do those things that you can just tap on your phone and find your nearest cheer gym or your nearest gymnastics gym for open gym right. and then try things right um, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying things though I think trying things and figuring things out on your own is actually one of the lost I think characteristic or arts in today's youth yep. I think sometimes we give uh, the tumble coaches far too much credit for things that you actually could figure out on your own. Right. Now I understand I'm a, I'm in the tumbling business 
And me to say that is actually a bad business move, but in reality, I think you going out and figuring out things makes you not just a better tumbler, but it makes you a better person because there's so many things for you to learn in this world that you only can learn from experiences as opposed to somebody telling you how they felt in their experience in that moment. So that's that's beautiful because that was going to be my follow-up question is do you, you know, now what about the non tumbler, just the person out in life that is, you know, afraid of taking that first step. And I, I have a question coming up here towards the end that will reflect this. So maybe we'll, wait until then for you know for your full response but um no i think that that's great and i completely agree i remember learning i actually learned my punch front first um in the grass on a very Mm -hmm. very old panel mat that really didn't do anything physically to protect us it just psychologically helped us and uh yeah and i was i was part of the the backyard tumblers league you know and in high school that's when it's the most pure. That's when it's oh, the most fun. Man. Where you're just out there and you and your friends are just having a ball, right. having a blast, and it's like everybody's having a good time. I let my, I, I got my punch front, and we didn't even call it that. We just called it front flip. Front flip, right? We you know, thinking you Jackie Chan out there in the grass. We, you ever play the game grades? No. Where they take the rope and they lift it up. Well, we played a game called Grades where you started, like, I think it's like kindergarten or something. Wow. And the rope is at its lowest, and you go all the way up as high as you can jump over the rope. I think the first time I did a front flip was over the rope. Was over, yeah. And I was just trying to figure out how to get over the rope. And I was like, oh, I landed on my feet. I can do that anytime now. And I just. That's hilarious, man. That is hilarious. Yeah, we used to, we I guess we did do that, but with obstacles, you know? So we would, like, stack mats we would throw chairs <laughs> sounds mm-hmm. crazy but we would like throw chairs at each other we would have like you know different heights of people other kids in class you're like all right tommy you stand there we'll see if we can jump over you you know and then i have the next pre- jeff you stand there and so we would just like just kind of you know gradually but i think that that was yeah i agree those are good times anyways i think this is a good point for us to move on but um the the main the main i guess the, the meat and potatoes of today's interview has to do with a phone call that you and I had almost, wow, almost two months ago already. But right. this was the conversation that prompted me to not only make you my first interview, but also, I don't know if I told you this yet, but change the name of a YouTube show I'm working on that was originally, I forget what I was going to call it before, but now I want to call it Fear Stronger. And it was because of our, right. our phone call. In the short time that I've known you, like I said earlier, you're probably one of only two people that I have in my life that will just tell it like it is you and my wife, you know, and um, and I love that because it's like I posted on uh, on uh, on my story the other day on Instagram, some lyrics from a cat named Roland where he said, you know, don't sugarcoat a thing because that doesn't help anyone's dream, you know, and it seems like people either want success or they want sympathy. And I like that you guys can, you know, kind of breathe life or support into my success just by keeping it real with me. Um, so I, I highly valued that conversation. But when you said, when I mentioned the name of this show, Fearless University, I love how you very matter of factly, but also very respectfully said, you know, in the, in the spirit of true debate, you said, I, I disagree with the idea of fearing less. You said something to the effect of, I don't tell my athletes to fear less. I prefer them to fear stronger. Is that is that right? Right. And, That's and correct. This is what I love about passionate coaches such as you and I is that we have a wealth of knowledge and opinion that allows our athletes to pick and choose what they will use to develop their own opinions and worldviews. So let, let's let's talk about this. What did you mean back then? What does it mean to fear stronger? Um, well, I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple to me. And, uh, like I said before, um, everybody start, has a different starting point. And I don't believe that your starting point is what defines you. It's your, your ending point is where you end up at. Love it. But for me, my starting point has a lot to do with the way that I, the way that I attack life. Right. Um, for me, I view life 
as every day you wake up is a small fight, mm. right? And what you do, and I, I remember growing up, and at first, I, I remember being in it, being in, in school, and I used to be nervous about altercations or getting into fights. So much so that I would hold back when the time came, or when an altercation or a confrontation presented itself, I would be nervous, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "What if I hurt him? Or what if this? Or what if I?" And in reality. When you do that, when you, 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 you shy away from that confrontation, you're teaching yourself that in any moment of extreme or, or, or extreme whatever, it could be pressure, it could be um, the moment, it could be whatever opportunity, you're teaching yourself to then when that extreme feeling comes up and, and you feel it inside yourself, to shrink in that moment. Right. And when I became an adult, I realized, I was like, that has gotten me nowhere. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fight like my life depends on it because in reality it does. Every every day you wake up and you have that small fight with life, you have to fight life as if your life depends on it because the reality of the situation is is that everybody's afraid. Right. Fear transcends everything. I, I hear all the time that that love is the strongest emotion that you'll feel and I disagree with that. I think fear is. Wow. Because at the end of the day, when you're afraid that you're gonna lose somebody, you do much more than you would if you know that you have. You may love them, but mm. if you're afraid they're gonna lose them, it's different. And if you think about it, when people do extreme things, I want you to think about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get all the way into what people understand. Let's when go. You have people who commit crimes. Most of the reason people commit crimes is because they're afraid of if they don't commit the crime or they fear they don't have another option. Wow. Like when people steal, it's usually they fear either not having or being made fun of for not having. That's their response. Like I have to have this because I'm afraid of what happens if I don't. Right. So what I tell people all the time is. Most people see me, and I'm 6'2", and I'm 250 pounds. Yeah, for those of you that have never seen E in person, he's a very physically intimidating figure. And what I try, the point that I try to get across to my kids is, is they're like, well, Eric, you're you. I'm like, people think that I am, or uh, people think that I don't get afraid. I'm afraid every single day that I wake up. I'm afraid every time I spot somebody. I'm afraid every time I'm, I'm, I wish people could understand that I'm so afraid. Come on. I'm so anxious. I'm so scared every time I do anything that is of any significance that it, it, you, and the big, the difference is I don't show it, but inside of me, I'm legitimately sweating. I'm nervous. I'm so scared of that moment. But the difference with me is I don't shy away from my fear. I tell people all the time, what makes me dangerous is not that I'm 6'2", 250, it's because I'm desperate. Mm. I'm willing to do anything possible to succeed. Some people are only willing to go so far, and I'm willing to take that punch. Wow. I'm willing to take whatever life gives me, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Like, I have to physically have something wrong with me not to keep moving forward. My fear is not that I'm going to get hurt. My fear is that I'm not going to get better. Wow. So instead of us getting to the point where we're so afraid that we can't move, start focusing on the fact that if we don't move, how are you going to feel after that? Right. That to me is enough to get and keep me going through fear. So I don't tell people, well, don't fear or don't be afraid. I want you to be afraid. Fear keeps you in check. Mm-hmm. In reality of the situation, most people don't commit crimes because they're afraid of going to jail, not because they're good people. Right. Most of the time, people don't do certain things because they're afraid of the consequences, not because they are morally or they have a moral compass that keeps them in check. And even your moral compass sometimes is based off of fear. Wow. Most people who go, to, who go to church, the religion is based off of the fear of letting fear. down God. Right. Wow. It's all based off of fear. And I believe that fear and love is actually intertwined. I would agree. Because if you love somebody truly... You're afraid of losing them. Yep. I've almost seen, I've almost thought of fear and love as being the, you know, Batman and Joker, Lex Luthor, right. and Superman of, of the universe, of existence. It, They are, you know, 
it, it it's the unbreakable bond. If you have fear, right. you have love. If you have love, you have fear. And I love exactly what you're saying because it it is defining what I've set out to accomplish with this podcast. Fear less and having that demarcation between those two words doesn't mean to be void of fear. It means to get to a point where you can understand. It. And I think that that's exactly what you've spent a lifetime doing is saying, I understand exactly why I'm afraid. And this is telling me that I need to take action. This is telling me that I'm out of my comfort zone. This is telling me that I need to go a step further and do what I got to do to succeed. Yep. Love it. That's, that, that to me is essentially what makes or breaks a person's whatever you deem your success is understanding your own fear. Because I ask girls all the time or ask athletes all the time. So deal with the guys too. When you get there and you're like, I'm like, are you afraid right now? Do you feel any of that fear inside your heart when you're just standing there? And they're like, no, I don't feel anything. Mm. I'm like, but when you get right there before you throw the, you throw the skill, you feel the fear. She's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know why that is? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, the fear doesn't arise until you're about to do something amazing. Exactly. That fear is giving you extra energy. It's not taking away from, it's actually there to make you more explosive, right. to make you attack your situation more, not shrink in the moment. That's why when you walk down the street, you don't get afraid because right. it's just walking. Or when you're running, it's just it's just running. Or when you're eating, it's just eating. But when you get to that situation where you're about to shoot the game-winning shot, or you just or you are running your ride, you're gonna catch that game-winning touchdown, or you're about to do your round of hamstring pull, you feel that fear because you're doing something that everybody else can't do. Mm. So when I feel that. That's me letting me know that I'm taking steps in the right direction. Right. Not that I should back up. That means I just keep taking steps forward. As soon as the closer and the more fear that I feel, I know that I'm closer to wherever I'm trying to get to. That's it. You got to go through that to get to where you're trying to go. I freaking love it, man. No, I love it, man. I I think that's beautiful because it's, you know, uh, and this is a personal thing, but I get so. I don't want to say upset. I just over the years, you know, since I've been obsessing over the study and psychology of fear, I've been just kind of ashamed at where culture has taken the concept of fear and how you have to battle it and fight it and conquer it. And I think that there are there are ways that you can have a command uh, over the understanding of your fear, but. You know, I did a I did a live or I did a video last week where I was saying, you know, it, it kind of hit me like fear is like that, that wild beast that you stumble across in the woods. And what does a wild beast do when it feels backed into a corner? Attack. It attacks and it fights back at you so much harder than it would have if you had taken the time to maybe just understand it or not try to tame it, but instead try to learn to coexist with it. And I think that that is the misconception that is largely accepted in culture, in society, is that you need to get rid of your fear instead of doing what you're saying, which I love. It's like, no, that fear is an indicator. That fear is there to let you know when you need to, again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it bears repeating, step outside of your comfort zone and start attacking, like, you know, get it done. Yeah, I, nope, 1,000% agree. It's a fear to me is likened to Peter Parker's spidey sense. Right. It's like that indication that it's about to go down. I love that. Be on your P's and Q's. Right. As opposed to you saying, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. I, I think, me personally, I think that fear, and I understand it. I, I see I see athletes and I can see the terror in their eyes. I can see that fear is paralyzing. I can see those things. I can see it. I understand it. What I want to get people to understand about me, and I think sometimes people don't, they be like, well, Eric, you're you. You don't feel this and you don't feel that. And I've spent so long trying to convince people that I don't because, you know, you grow up in a world where a man is supposed to be macho and supposed to be tough and supposed man. to do these things and 
you're you're you're, you're about to take us down, down a, a whole nother. You, you, you get caught up in the masculinity of things, right? Exactly, man. That's a whole nother conversation. That's right. a whole nother episode, right? I'm not afraid. I'm terrified. Wow, I am terrified. Every time I ask somebody to do a new skill, I'm terrified. All of it, not because they're not prepared, because anything can go wrong. But I also realize too, if I get afraid and I don't allow them to keep moving forward, then I should be ashamed of myself as a coach. Right. It is my job to get them to where they need to be. So that means even when I'm afraid, I still need to get them to do new skills when they're afraid because that's essentially what they want to do. That's what they're there for. Like, like, like I'm a parent. And I think now more than ever, I realize with, with my business and, and I, I, I'm like my definite purpose, like why am I doing it? And oh, I, I had these posters up in my, in my room. They fell down now, but. I wrote my definite purpose in this big, bold letter marker. And I'm like, I want financial freedom, and I want Tumble Chef to be an internationally recognized tumbling company. Come on. And I was like, what? And then I realized that none of those things are my definite purpose. Right. I'm afraid of not being able to provide for my family and my children. The fear, I'm afraid of not being able to provide for them. So since I'm afraid, there's nothing that I'm not willing to do to make sure that I can. And that'll wake me up every single day when my body hurts, when I'm bruised, when I'm sad, when I'm mad, and I will get out of that bed, put both feet down, and I will do what is necessary to figure it out. It's like how Eric that Thomas talks about knowing what you're uh, – actually, he's not the only one. There's a lot of people that we, we listen to that talk about this, but knowing your why, like – making it right. about more than just yourself or your business or what you want to accomplish. But like focusing on, like you said, fear and love they're intertwined. So you focus on the people that yep. you love and the fear of losing them or letting them down or, you know, them being um, in a worse off position is going to motivate you to action. I agree. 1000%. I agree. 1000%. Man. Oh, I and love, I, think, I love, I think, the, go ahead. I think the crazy thing about it is I think sometimes and everybody's different. Like some people need to are self-motivated. Some people are externally motivated. Right. And it depends on how you do it. But what I do think it is you, you need to sometimes just sit down and just listen. So just listen to what your body is telling you. Mm. Listen to you, what your mind, what your soul is telling you. And I think sometimes in those moments, you and I, I think about this. And the last thing I'll say before you, we move on. I was talking. I was talking to the other girl. I was talking to these girls about it, and I was like, "Fear is this. It's this, this, this beautiful thing. Mm. It makes you do amazing things, things you that you never do." I used to grow up, and I, I love superheroes. Favorite superhero. We're well, not really here like an anti-hero, but whatever. It's the Incredible Hulk. Mm. My God, I'm like his super strength allows him to do everything. It's everything, and most people see the Incredible Hulk, and they think that. With his anger that sets him off. But the reality of the situation is he's afraid. If you ever hear him saying there like this, uh, uh, somebody's the strongest and the Hulk is like the Hulk is the strongest there is. His fear of not being the strongest makes him stronger. Same huh. thing is when you see you know, stories about those moms. Right. And their kid is trapped inside a car and they rip the door open and they grab their kid out and they're they're working just off adrenaline. It's not that they're, you know, that, that's fear. Right. They are afraid that they're going to lose their child and not even a steel two-ton car door is going to stop them from getting to their child. Wow. That is what fear is. That is what fear can do for you. Fear can actually make you amazing if you use it the correct way. If you don't use it or if you try to get rid of it, then you're losing out on one of the things that your body naturally produces that is to, there to assist you in getting things done. Before I move on to the last two questions, and it's mm-hmm. paining me to say that it's the last two because it's just this is this is what I live for. But uh, before I do, I'm sure people listening want to know uh, where can they stalk you online. Um, I have a website, um, www.tumblechef.com. Um, I'm actually more active on Instagram and on my Facebook page which is also under the same name, Tumble Chef, uh, of videos, things like that. You can DM me, direct message me. 
Um, if you have questions, uh, that's pretty much the most, most common places I'm at. Um, my competitions, um, I'm all over the place, but I'll usually be on Facebook, Instagram, under the name Tumble Chef, um, posting videos. Uh, people send me direct messages, ask me questions about drills and is there anything I can do here? And I try to coach online, but that's pretty much it. That's the, I guess that's the whole thing that comes to. I think a lot of value is, uh, I think Instagram is undervalued a lot by people stepping into the game because it, that's where I found the most interaction with the athletes. Right. And I love that, yeah. that athletes can reach out to you directly and just be like, Hey, I, you know, I gave up on my skill or I need some drills and yeah. So yeah, you guys make sure you follow tumble chef on Instagram, check him out on Facebook and be sure to check out the website. A lot of people don't go to websites anymore, but be sure to check it out. Cause that definitely right. is a lot of valuable information yeah, there. Definitely. It's definitely, you think like you, you set everything up and you want to be as legit as possible. And you're like me personally, my, I think Instagram is where I get the most um, traffic actually. Right. Like I had a guy from New York uh, uh, not too long ago. He's like, you should come to Manhattan. I like that's random. Um, <laughs> but, but it is what it is. I'll right. take it where I get it. I think I, I really love tumbling. Um, I think tumbling is amazing. I think it's one of the, I think it's like uh, the highest art or uh, uh, form of human expression actually. Right. Of movement. Like the way you move, the, the strength, the grace, the control, the balance. I think that, it's amazing, but I think at the end of the day, um, what I do here affects so many other things. That's why what I do in tumbling has to work. Yep. There are no options. There are no second guessing. And I and and I think people think like I, when I walk or something. Like this, if you walk so confidently, that is a lie. Right. I'm doing that to make you feel like I'm confident, but I'm nervous. I second guess. I'm not sure. But when it comes to this, I tell myself you have to make this happen. Because you don't have any other options, you don't have any other choices. So whatever you need to do, you need to do it, and that's pretty much where I'm at with the whole business thing. Man, love it. So moving on to these uh, these last two, brother. Let's say that you meet uh, somebody who lost their memory, right? So they've experienced right. life, but they've forgotten everything that they've experienced, and they have no semblance or concept of what fear is. I mean, maybe they just they're fresh out of like you know a coma or whatever their incident was. And you have to explain it to them upon their first re-experience of fear. How, how would you explain that to them? What is fear conceptually to you? Fear to me is usually, it has to be something of a significance loss. Mm. So, if I'm if I'm meeting a person who is lost their memory or whatever the case may be, it would have to be something they can identify with as far as losing. Because then you also what you have to understand too is that you're gonna essentially have to take time to reintroduce yourself and the world as is to that person. And essentially like think about it this way, right? A baby. Right. Babies are born without any knowledge to anything that happens, but they become aware of things to be afraid of very quickly. Right. I have a one-year-old son. I never had to teach him what fear was. He heard a vacuum come on, and he ran. Wow. I think sometimes we think of, we, we, we think of these, like, these like, um, like monumentous things have to take place, and in reality, the reason we don't, as adults, don't think that a vacuum is, is, is scary is because we experience, we've been experiencing vacuums for years. Right. But for a baby or a person who just got their memory back, they don't remember what a vacuum sounds like. They don't remember what a car horn sounds like. Right. They don't remember what certain things feel like. You touch a stove, it's hot. My son knows hot. He knows the vacuum. He runs away. If you walk in the street and a car honks his horn you loud, you're jumping, you're getting out the way. Right. You don't have to, I don't think you would have to explain to a person what fear is. They would feel it pretty, I think pretty early on in their reawakening to the world or whatever the case, where they come out of a coma, whatever the case may be. Right. You let them go out into the world. Fear will show itself and it'll make itself very known very early. I completely agree because I, I think that that is bringing up the, of course, we don't have time to really dive into it now, but the, 
the differences between biological and psychological fear, you know? And right. so I think that it, it definitely starts with the bi- the biological, but then the psychological with the mind just striving to survive, keep itself alive by keeping you alive. Um, right. It, it will, like you said, it will. So, you know, biologically you, you hear the vacuum come on as a baby and you're like, that don't sound right. You, you know, you run away. Right. But then psychologically your brain's like, yeah, that did sound really nasty. Let's go ahead and just be afraid of that from now on. Cause it could possibly hurt us, you know? So, uh, but yeah, that, yeah that's, and that, and that is the same way that you heard those, those, those the athletes who, you know, I think in my personal opinion, I think the hardest people to get past their initial fear are people who never fail. Yes, I because would agree. They suffer from psychological fear. So they yeah. can watch somebody else fall and be like, oh my gosh, that didn't look right. And then they can then convince themselves that the same thing is going to happen to them. And then they will stay in that mindset. And I've seen them stay in that mindset longer than those who have fallen because then they, people who fall, and this is just some people, not everybody, everybody's right. different. But in my case, the majority of people who fall can then convince themselves that that one time was a fluke. Then I can do it again. But for a person who never failed and convinced that they can't do it, that is psychological. And then they are usually in that mindset for a very long time. Completely agree. Last question. It's kind of a two part. Um, okay. You know, I know like, I know you, like many folks listening, have experienced personal loss and tragedy. One of the things that uh, I think we touched on earlier that I always preach is that true growth happens outside of your comfort zone. Um, Tim Ferriss, he says it beautifully. I I love the way he puts it. He says, you have to learn to be comfortable with discomfort. The Mm -hmm. two-part question is this. What would you say to someone listening who's allowing that fear to hold them back and keep them from taking that first step into discomfort. And then maybe you can relate that to what is the greatest lesson you've learned in your life uh, from fear, from the, you know, the actual experience of fear. Well, um, I think to answer the first question, I actually spoke to some girls about this too. I have conversations. I think as a tumble coach, we should have a talk show because you spend so much time just talking to your kids yeah. as opposed to flipping them now. It's kind of the purpose of this right here, you know? Right. I spoke to some girls um, from Seneca Valley High School in uh, Germantown, Maryland, about the same idea. We talked about risk. I was like, the reality of the situation is the way a human body is set up, we are naturally meant to stay upright. Mm. We walk. We run, we jump. The idea of flipping upside down, to me, is similar to that of flying. Right. Even though we we have too much bone density and our uh, we're anatomically not made up to fly like a bird, humans figure out a way to fly, which in theory is a risky idea. Yes. And like we all know, the original people who went on planes, they died in a high clip. Right. Okay. <laughs> Right, we all know that. Same thing with um, with cars. Same thing with trains. Right, is all transportation had an early quirk, correct? So, with that being said, those people took a risk, right? Because they were doing something that the, the human body was not supposed to do. The same thing with tumbling. We are not naturally supposed to go upside down. The fact that we do, we are essentially going against all the laws of essentially what is being a human originally or what was planned. Exactly. So if you are asking your body to do something that is risky, yet you are not willing to risk, you will never get the skill. Mm. So the big thing for me is essentially it's like goes back to the no risk, no reward theory. Yep. If you don't, you're not willing to risk something, you don't get the reward of having the tumbling skills. That is how it works. So I tell my girls, what you have to do is if you're afraid of flipping over, you need to do everything up to that point, essentially. So you jump up, you grab your knees, and then you don't flip. And then you work your way past that. But you can't sit up here and tell me that you want to do this but not willing to risk bodily harm because going upside down, every time you do that, that's essentially what you're doing. Exactly. So in order for you to do this skill, 
you essentially have to put yourself in a position where you have to depend on your trainer. Because if you don't jump back into a back handstand, you never will. You have to be willing to jump back and arch your back. And then the strength condition and all those things take it, take it, take over and then you get over. Like I tell people all the time, the fear is there. Let the fear build. But athletes should not think. I tell thinking yep. is for teachers. Yep. Thinking is for scholars. Right. Athletes don't think we train so that we can react in the situation. Right. So then when we get there, we can just all put our hands down, feet come down, boom, do enough repetition that your body muscle memory knows what's going on. But you have to be willing to risk the initial beginning in order for you to get to that point. And I, and I think the second thing that um, I've learned, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was um, when I went to, when I went to, when I initially left for college, um, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I did not want to go to school, hmm. did not want to go to college. I just stay. Um, I was terrified. Right. Um, and I, I think for me, and I, I, I've been hearing a lot of things on like Twitter, like uh, stop letting your kids leave the house at 18 and things like that. 1,000% understand that kids aren't ready at 18 to live on their own. Kids, most kids aren't ready at 25 to live on their own. Right. Understanding. But I was so afraid. My mother was like, no. She made me get in the van. She drove me to America. She drove back. We drove to Philadelphia to go see her family. Um, she dropped me off at school in um, Washington, D.C. And I remember her crying because I was the only person who left home. Well, I have three kids. I have two brothers and sisters. Um, and I was the only one who left. I was wow. a little kid. I left. Um, and this is before cell phones. They had calling cards. I needed to age myself. <laughs> and I remember getting in there. And I didn't have any friends. Um, I was being made fun of because I had. I didn't sound like everybody else in Maryland. I sounded right. like I was from Kansas City. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, for my terrible. I wasn't up on a fashion um, I remember I wore Reebok Classics. I remember people made fun of me for wearing Reebok Classics. And I look back on that now, and I know for a fact if I did not leave home, and I was—I mean, I was terrified. I used to be in a dorm. I was so scared. I, I hated everything about being in that dorm. But if I did not leave home, I would not be in the position that I am now. Mm. In fact, I can say that without a shadow of a doubt that my mother that was the best thing that happened to me because in my fear of being alone, I learned how to be alone. I learned how to be in an uncomfortable situation and make the best out of it. I learned how to be able to go to a place where I don't know anybody and meet people. I learned how to take care of myself. And if I would have stayed home, there's a high chance that I never would have learned those lessons. And I, I think that those, I think learning how to take care of yourself I think that's one of the most invaluable lessons you can you can have, um, and it also gave me an opportunity to see a different world. Right. Like when you live in the inner city, there's certain things that go on that you wouldn't want your kids to grow up in. You would want them to have to go through the same things you had to go through right. or had to see. But going to a different city or being a part of a different community allows you to see the world. Like, I never thought I would ever go to any other state. I was cool with just being in Kansas City. I had no aspirations of traveling and things like that. And I haven't left the country yet. I've been to Canada. Right. I haven't left the country outside of outside of that. But just seeing the world makes you look at your world differently. Mm. And I think sometimes you have, a lot of people have a lot of talent within them they have super small dreams or super small scope in which they see the world. Right. And it makes them essentially underachieve because if you only, if you have this big talent, but you only have small vision, you'll never achieve that big talent. Come on. And I think, I think my mother allowing me to leave Kansas city. And like I said, before, I love Kansas city, love my city. I, I mean, I can't, I love Kansas City. I love my family. I love everything about that place. Right. It taught me so many lessons. But coming to Maryland, being in D.C., you're essentially one of the epicenters of politics and things that go on in the country and in the world, actually, and you're right next to it. Wow. And that probably could be a curse or something, but right now, you get to see so many different things. You get to meet different ethnicities. You get to understand different cultures. 
I think the most valuable lesson that I, I learned is that you're you're a small piece of a bigger picture. Right. And what you do is bigger than you. And I think taking away from that has allowed me to do things that I never thought I would do in the last five, six years. And I think that um, I'll be forever thankful to my mother for that. That is beautiful, man. Eric Thompson, Tumble Chef, man. Thank you so much, brother. We loved having you on this first episode. Man, I appreciate you having me, man. I really do. All right. Have a blessed one, man. You too. There you have it, you guys. Our first episode is in the books. An amazing and inspiring time with our guest, Eric Thompson, a.k.a. The Tumble Chef. E, I'd like to thank you again for being on this inaugural episode. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and follow on SoundCloud and Spotify to be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Friday. Remember, you guys, closed mouths don't get fed. If you don't understand something, ask questions and seek understanding. Because if we seek to understand more, we can learn to fear less. Remember, you can find me almost anywhere online, at Coach Lane on Instagram, at Coach Lane 3 on Twitter, and at Coach Lane Lee on Facebook. My office hours are from 24 to 7 to 365. Thanks again for joining us today. Remember, whatever it is, go out there and get after it. I'm Coach Lane. I'll catch you on the flip. Oh, 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 o